the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we close out the week here on Abounding Grace, we have one final look at our little mini-series called The Trial of Jesus Christ, Part 2. Join us, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner, coming up next. The injustice of it all is really quite startling. You take a, a cursory examination of the life of Christ revealed for us in the four Gospels and then put it up against the accusations found in this trial here at the end of Luke chapter 22 and you come away scratching your head thinking, how did this ever happen? Yet there are sovereign reasons, as we'll see today. The Trial of Jesus Christ, Part 2. We're in Luke 22, verses 54 through 71. Won't you join us? From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. You see, that's what happens when people think they have the right to add to the law of God. It is then usually the law of God and the king of that law that end up being sold out. Now, where do you see that today? that Caiaphas attitude that you can add to the Word of God. You see it in Christian fundamentalism, where many of them actually say, much of the law is not for us today. But then they add stipulations and rules and regulations by which we are to leave that are not found in the law of God at all. Things like, don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't go to movies, limit your daughter's education. Whenever people assume that they make up laws and supplement the Word of God, eventually two things always happen. They downgrade the Word of God and they sell out the king. There's an interesting statement in Mark 15:10 in his account of this story. Let me read it to you. Pilate was shrewd. He saw through old Caiaphas. And it says in Mark 15:10, For he, Pilate, perceived that for envy the chief priest had delivered him up. So you see, Pilate understood. Caiaphas wanted this lordship. Caiaphas wanted to be the source of law. He envied Christ. He wanted what Christ had. So he sought to kill him out of envy. He did not want this man telling him what to do. What was Pilate's response to Caiaphas's charges that ended up in Christ's crucifixion. Now remember, Pilate was a politician. Don't forget that. And he was a crude one at that. Pilate didn't care two cents about theology. He didn't ask Jesus any theological questions. All he was concerned with was politics. He didn't care whether Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. When Jesus was tried before the church court and Caiaphas, theology was a big deal. Theology, theology, theology. But now he's in a civil court. And all Pilate wants to know is if Jesus is a political threat to him. 
So all Pilate asked Jesus is, are you the king of Israel? Not are you a king of Israel. Not are you a person who claims to be the king of Israel. Are you the king of Israel? He was asking a practical question. Do I need to worry about you, Jesus? Are you a threat to my political authority? Are you a threat to Rome? You claim to be a king, do you? Are you really a king and a political threat to me? And Jesus said to him, in no uncertain terms, yes, I am. I am a threat to you, Pilate. I am a threat to the Roman Empire. I am the king, as you say. And when a king claims to be the Messiah, he must die because you can't have two kings over the same nation. You can't have two lords. You can't have two gods. It is either Jesus or it is Caesar. And you see, that's what makes the simple preaching of the pure gospel to be considered dangerous and subversive then as well as now. You know that, don't you? The simple preaching of the pure gospel, not a synthetic gospel like two-kingdom theology, is considered dangerous and subversive. Now, how in the world can that be? Well, let's see. Turn with me to Acts 17. And notice what happened as a result of Paul simply preaching the pure gospel. Acts 17, verse 1. When they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now here's the heart of the message. Just the pure gospel message. Jesus is the Messiah, and he died on a cross, and he rose from the dead for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I want you to notice what happened as a result of that preaching of the simple and pure gospel. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. So the first thing that happened was that a lot of people were converted out of paganism to the Lord Jesus Christ by the simple gospel preaching. But notice what else happened. Verse 5. But the Jews, being jealous and taking along some evil men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These are the men who upset the world who came here also. So that simple preaching of the pure gospel always upsets the world. Now, what happened as a result of preaching the gospel? One, a lot of people were converted. Two, the mob frantically opposed Paul and the others. And you know the mob were the people who lived on handouts. They were dependent on the civil government and whoever would give them anything. So here you have the mob, all excited and frantic. Third, the civil authorities were all frantic, and they had to arrest someone. So they arrest those whom they thought by their arrest would bring the rioting to a halt. In verse 7, notice the charge. And, Jesus, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. 
You see, the reason the mob got so riled up, and it was the Jews who riled them up, and the reason the civil officials got so intimidated is they understood the political implications of the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone is the Messiah from God, who died on the cross, and then God raised them from the dead, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to whom all other kings, including Caesar, are accountable. You see, they understood the political implications of the pure gospel. The church does not... Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in thy, thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And the Greek word for Lord there is kurios, which means more than a king, more than an emperor. It means king of all kings and lord of all lords, above whom there is no greater authority. That is the word the Caesars chose for themselves. They saw themselves as far more than kings. And then the Christians come along. And they say, if thou shalt confess with their mouth, Jesus is curios, not Caesar. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, making him the king of all kings, curios. You shall be saved. The civil officials understood that that is a threat to their absolute tyrannical authority. And they couldn't let it go. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven or earth given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Well, did you know that on Jesus Augustus' birthday, before that verse was written, banners and insignias were made with an inscription on them, and that inscription said, There is no other name under heaven or earth given among men whereby we must be saved than the name Caesar Augustus. So when the Christians came along and implied, implied, applied that in Scripture to Jesus, that was a declaration of war against the Roman Empire. They said, there is a king. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. He is the Lord's Messiah, and the Lord's Messiah is Christ the Lord himself, and he is the ruler of all the nations, and Caesar is accountable to him. You cannot have two kings. Now, when we say that, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is king of kings, ruler of the kings of the earth, who demands total allegiance and total commitment and total obedience, and who tolerates no rivals. I ask you, beloved, as you and I stand on trial before God today, are you, in your everyday life, not only seeking to do his will regardless of the cost, but are you honestly proclaiming his lordship over every area of life to your friends, to your family, to your acquaintances? Are you sharing with them and proclaiming to them the crucified, risen, and reigning Lord Jesus Christ and the implications of that gospel? Are you? Do you know how you can tell that most of us are not? Do you know how you can tell that most Christians in America today are not proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ over all of life? There are no riots. And there are no intimidated civil officials to truly speak of. 
I pray that the day will come when our presence out in front of the baby-killing centers on the Alameda greatly intimidates the civil rulers. Let's pray that the simple proclamation of the gospel and the working out of its implications and the lordship of Christ over all of life will bring social disturbance in this country that will then lead to peace and the renewal of God's order. For some of us as Christians, our bark is worse than our bite. As Jesus stands before Pilate answering his direct questions, the chief priests and the elders are there too, and they are outside hollering and accusing Jesus of all these things. But Jesus didn't under, utter one word of defense. In fact, Pilate was astounded. Notice what Pilate says to Jesus in Matthew 27, 13. He hears all of these chief priests and elders shouting out all of these accusations against Christ. And Pilate said to him, Did you hear, not hear, how many things they testify against you? Can you not hear them, Jesus? And he did not answer him with regard or to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now what do we learn from that verse? We learn that Jesus has nothing else to say to the apostate church. Nothing else, at least until Judgment Day. He doesn't answer any of their accusations. He has nothing further to do with them. But you notice it says, Pilate was quite amazed. Now the word amazed, Luke has used several times. Time and again, when the common people were around Jesus and they heard his great stories and they watched his miracle, Luke says they were amazed or they were astonished or they were awestruck. Now, why did Luke bring this out? It's because those are the feelings that a person has when he is in the presence of God. And although these common people may have suppressed the truth and may not have believed in Jesus, they may not have understood what was going on in their own hearts, but whenever they were around Jesus, they had the same feelings a person has when he is in the presence of God. And now, Pilate is astonished and amazed and awestruck at the divine human person in his midst with all the feelings that you have when you stand in the presence of God. Luke didn't tell you that Pilate was amazed just to make you think he was surprised at Jesus' silence. He wanted you to know who was actually standing in that courtroom. Well, as always, Luke is very concise in explaining things. So we've got to go to other places in the Bible so that we can see what else took place. Turn with me, if you will, to the 18th chapter of John. Because you'll see, there was quite a discussion between the judge who was Pilate and the one being judged, Jesus Christ. And I want us to read it because so often today, this passage is misunderstood and misapplied. John 18, verse 33. Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered. And remember, in other places, like Luke 23, he says clearly, I am. But here he is trying to convict Pilate. He said, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did another tell you about me? Pilate answered, Am I not? I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. 
Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And we'll see a little bit later that he said, Pilate, you wouldn't have any authority at all if I hadn't given it you the authority. But here's a verse everyone quotes today to show you how we shouldn't be involved in politics. We shouldn't be involved as Christians in the things of this world because Jesus' kingdom, he says, is not of this world. He doesn't have anything to do with this world. He doesn't have anything to do with economics and politics and social concerns because here he says, right here in black and white, my kingdom is not of this world. So it is interpreted that it means my kingdom pertains to heaven alone and that this is a statement of the nature of the kingdom of God and it doesn't have anything to do with this world. It has to do with your inner soul and your inner subjectivity and dying and going to heaven. My kingdom is not of this world. So people are always quoting this verse and interpreting it in a way that, to me, is nauseous. Showing that Christians should not get involved in any kind of political issues at all. We should stay above them, whatever that means. As a result of this verse, there was a terrible doctrine that developed in the late 1800s that gutted the Presbyterian Church of the South. And that doctrine that is still considered by some today to be true, in fact, in many churches, is largely because of a misunderstanding of this verse. And that is the doctrine of the spirituality of the church. The spirituality of the church is a doctrine that says the church is supposed to be entirely ecclesiastical and spiritual and concern itself with only spiritual matters. And it's not to ever address political and social and economic issues in the culture. I was involved in a church like that just a few years ago. And they used this verse where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world to justify their position. Well, if they had considered the Greek just a bit more carefully, they would have known what Jesus said was this. He is not talking about the nature of his kingdom. He's talking about the origin of his kingdom. In verse 36, it says, Jesus answered, and here is what it says in Greek, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews, but it is not from this realm. So Jesus is not making a statement about the nature of his kingdom. He says, my kingdom, my government, my authority to rule did not originate with man. There was never an election in which I was chosen king of kings and lord of lords. My right to govern did not originate in this world. It is from God himself. So the power of my kingdom, the authority of my kingdom, the strategies of my kingdom are not those of men. I'm not going to call up an army of men and overthrow the Roman Empire. I have a more powerful weapon, and that weapon is truth, revealed truth. And by the revealed truth of God, Jesus said, my kingdom is going to overcome the kingdoms of this world. Pilate, you're right. I am a threat to you. I am the biggest threat the Roman Empire has ever seen. 
I will eventually demolish the Roman Empire as I will the Jewish nation in 70 AD because my authority comes from God, not man. And it applies politically and economically and socially and every other way. At this point in Christ's trial before Pilate, Pilate addresses the chief priests and the elders and the multitudes of people, and he renders his verdict concerning Jesus. I find no fault with this man. That only enraged the frantic Jewish leaders and caused the people to accuse him all the more. The crowds scared Pilate, but he found a way out of the crisis. Someone mentioned that Jesus spent a great amount of time in Galilee. Pilate's ears picked up, pricked up, Galilee? This man is from Galilee? Oh, I'm off the hook. My jurisdiction doesn't reach into Galilee. That's Herod's jurisdiction. And I bet you, old Pilate, gave a big sigh of relief, and he sent Jesus back to Herod. That's his problem. So now Jesus stands before Herod. Luke is the only one who brings this out. Who was Herod? Herod was the direct descendant of Esau, whom God hated. The one man God said he hated. What humiliation for the Son of God to be judged by the descendant of the man God hated and be condemned by that man. You know, Herod had always wanted to see Jesus. He always wanted him to perform a sign. He heard about all the miracles, and now he has this freak in his office. I'm going to have my own personal sideshow. I've always wanted to see some of his tricks. Herod asked Jesus a number of questions out of curiosity, and Jesus stood there silent. He performed no miracles. He wasn't about to be a sideshow for Herod. The Jewish leaders followed him all the way to Herod's court, and they stood outside vehemently calling for Jesus' punishment. And what was Herod's response in verse 11? And Herod said, and Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, he performed no tricks, so they decided to beat him, dressed him then in, a gorgeous, in gorgeous robes, and sent him back to Pilate. Now that, for Herod, was a great joke. Pilate and Herod didn't really think much of each other. and Herod thought this would be a great joke. I'm going to scare that old Pilate to death. Pilate, Herod sent this, Pilate sent this Jesus to me to render some verdict against him, and I'm going to dress him up like a king, and I'm going to send him back to Pilate. And when Pilate sees him, he thinks, in these royal robes, he's going to gulp really big and say, oh, no, Herod thinks he's a king. So Jesus was the brunt of a big joke by a man God hated. Now notice what verse 12 says. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. Before Jesus, Herod and Pilate couldn't stand each other. They were always at each other's throat, jealous of each other, trying to outdo each other, but they joined hands in ridiculing Jesus and rejecting his authority. That was the one thing that united them. No one ever expected these two men to join hands. And the same thing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Herodians. Those were four parties in the, day, in the church of that day who were always after one another. But that day, 
there was something they could all agree upon. Only one thing, and that was that Jesus had to go. You know, it's still amazing today, those who will join hands against Jesus and his church. Beloved, I ask you to be careful, to watch for it. Watch for it in the newspapers. Watch for it on the Internet. Watch for it among your friends. Watch and see who joins hands against Christ. Don't ever be naive, and don't ever let it set you back. People you never thought would join hands against Christ will do just that, and you will be surprised. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, the zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.